Praise the Lord. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand with me to your feet this morning. Amen. And we're going to go to the word of the Lord. And I'd like to direct your attention this morning to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 17. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 17 and beginning with verse 14. Amen. And it is wonderful to be in church here this morning. Amen. I'm thankful for everything that God is and that God has done. Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 14. If you have it, say amen. Amen. And it reads, When thou art come unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt possess it, and shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are about me. Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set over, shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. And in verse 16, just a couple more verses, stay with it. But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt, to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord hath said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. In verse 17, Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away, and neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. And let me just say here, amen, to explain a few of these verses, amen, that these are several rules that was set in order for the people to have a king. And these were different rules for the king to restrain himself from. One was from having many horses from having many wives and from having much silver and gold. And then if you would uh, just skip over in your Bible a couple more uh, pages to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 13. 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 13. I want to bring something to your attention this morning and point something out from the word of the Lord. It says... In 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 13 of that great king, the greatest king of Israel, that king named David. It says in verse 13 of 2 Samuel chapter 5, And David took him more concubines and wives out of Jerusalem after he was come from Hebron. And there were yet sons and daughters born to David. Amen. This Passage of scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 13 is the recording of David's initial assumption of power in Jerusalem. And we'll find out from, as we read from scripture in the book of Deuteronomy, that this taking of more concubines and wives in Jerusalem was one of the first sins that began to enter into David's life. And I want to just preach for a few moments on this Father's Day service on this title don't give the devil an inch don't give the devil an inch would you set your bibles down help me pray amen pray that god would speak to your heart to my heart and that god would talk to all of us today and let us be changed by the spoken preached word of god god we come before you on this 
Sunday morning. We are thankful, Lord, for the touch of your spirit. I pray, God, that you would anoint my lips of clay to speak. Lord, as even the mouthpiece of God to this group of people here this morning. I pray, God, you would anoint every heart and every mind, God. Let the Holy Ghost, God, touch every one of us here this morning. And God, may it not be a word that entertains us and tickles our ears, but let it be something that gets deep into our spirits and that brings about transformation and eventually manifestation of the Word of God in our lives. We will not fail to give you glory and honor in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray. Everyone said in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of the word of the Lord. Amen. Uh, I'm going to get back to the opening uh, scripture passage here in a moment, but I want to talk for a few moments about a few things that we see from scripture and we know from the world that is around us today. And it is this statement uh, is a fact. Amen. Godly. Christian men today are the exception and not the rule anymore. Amen. Maybe that comes as a surprise or as a shock to you. It should not really, but the fact remains that godly Christian men are the exception and not the rule. The question would be asked, maybe why is this the case? And the answer is that the popular politically correct culture of the world around us, the world in which we live, suppresses manliness, and especially the manliness and the leadership of men who attempt to follow Christ. Yeah. Amen. It's culturally, uh, in, in politically incorrect, and culturally it's not popular, amen, for men to live for the Lord and to serve the Lord and to be men of faith and men that follow Christ with convictions, amen, with boldness in their hearts. Several reasons, if you begin to study it out in the world around us today, are the culprit for this, uh, this disaster, if you will, or this, uh, this, this problem in our world. Some of the reasons that I'll list today, amen, but not exhaustive of all the reasons, some of them are feminism. Feminism is a is a very a real problem in the world today. The second thing is entertainment that is causing such a suppression of godly men in our world. And the third is legalism. And when these several components begin to come together and they work together without the intervention of the Holy Ghost and without the intervention of the church, and without the intervention of a pastor in your life, these things become nearly insurmountable. Amen. And it, it, it causes this impossibility, this mountainous impossibility in the lives of men. Amen. Let me build upon those reasons that I just listed. Dur during the 1970s, certain feminist strategists initiated what is known as or was known as the so-called girlhood project. And this was initiated with the intent of effectively blurring the lines and the distinctions between males and females. These feminists, they called for a new sexual standard based on traditional boyhood. 
And in the plays and in their attempts, amen, they made little girls to become more like boys. And along with this naturally, and all along with this naturally active and competitive boys were now punished and penalized for their uh, for their boyish behavior, and the girls were applauded for their ruggedness and athletic prowess. Amen. I'm building the foundation for this message today. Amid this cultural inversion that took place, amen, some decades ago in America, amen, a rugged, assertive, and a disciplined man was now deemed to be a threat to society and was quickly labeled, as the world will do, as a chauvinist or some would call a sexist pig. And so a generation of men have been neutered and neutralized, amen, because of this onslaught of feminism in our schools, feminism in the society, feminism in the corporate world. And Christian men are particularly susceptible to being cowed by the culture that is prevalent in our world today because discipline for godliness, amen, demands a particular toughness and a rugged individual individuality in a castrated and God-denying culture. Amen. It still is required for men to be men. For men to stand tall and say, As for me and for my house, we will serve the Lord. Hallelujah. That's not male chauvinism. That's not the sexist man. That's not a man that pushes his weight around. But that is a man, according to scriptures, that says, We will live for the Lord. Hallelujah. We need more men that will stand and be men in 2021 and say, We're going to live for the Lord, honey. We're going to serve the Lord with all of our hearts and all of our souls. Hallelujah. The second culprit in the neutralizing and the neutering of men is the addiction to entertainment. Hallelujah. A face that is lit by the luminous screen that we know today as smartphones and televisions or even computer screens. Amen. Is more often not, more often than not, it is a study in passivity. Amen. Fleeting images or passing images intermingled with thousands of commercials and and banner ads of an average week's viewing, these begin to instill passiveness in the men. They instill passiveness in the heart of men, but not even just the men today, but also the women of our day and the children of our day. That scream that lights up the face, amen, and cause us to sit there sometimes for hours upon hours wasting our lives away amen and we feel that we're doing something because we're watching somebody else do something great and do exploits and great things and yet we sit back amen as armchair quarterbacks in our living room allowing others to live their lives and we sit back and we watch them hallelujah but it still requires godly men to put things aside Amen. There is no time for engagement or reflection, much less action, because men have been captivated by an industry and by a world that is geared 100% towards entertainment and capturing your time. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. 
Amen. I, I heard something that was that really shook me to the core. Amen. Uh, just a while ago, there was this man that lived in that wild city of Miami in Florida. And he was uh, what was known as Mr. Miami. He was this, this big hotshot in the city of Miami. And he's got the yachts and he's he's cruising down the water canals and he's going into the ocean. He's, he's got his nice big luxury mansion and, and in his house he's not married but he's got dozens of girlfriends and they're, and they're all hanging around him and, and he said something that that they just it's it struck me amen he said these girls uh, he said they they, they they think i'm just giving them money and, and it's just a one-way relationship and i'm just taking care of them and providing for them but he said one thing that they don't realize is that they're giving me is they're giving me their youth they're giving me their time and I thought, my God, sometimes we think that we are uh, we are obtaining so much in this world, material things, but we waste away our time as we're sucked in by a world that wants to entertain us and steal our time away. Hallelujah. The viewed becomes a passive, a munching, a sipping drone. Amen. Let me tell you this, a drone in the, in the real context is not that thing that flies around with four propellers, but in, in the world, uh, the animal kingdom, a drone is a male bee. You know that yellow and black thing that goes around zipping? Amen. It's a male bee that has no sting and it gathers no honey. It's a be in name only, but there's no power to it. There's no work ethic to it. And there are guys, and I'm not here to bash anybody. I hope this doesn't come across. Amen. As a beat down. Amen. But I want to make a point today that this what this world needs and what this church needs more than ever is a man of God to stand and be counted. Amen. Let me tell some wives today. Your husband's not your enemy. Amen. Your husband's not the reason you can't live for God. Hallelujah. Let me tell some children today. Your father's not the reason why you can't live for God today. Everybody's got to take responsibility and say, ask for me. And for my house, we'll serve the Lord. But in the preparation for this today, I found that there, and I know this, amen, that there are, there are guys, there are men who have substituted viewing for doing so many of us today have substituted viewing for doing. Others have substituted listening for doing. And then we think that because we listen to podcasts, we listen to preaching, that we got the uh, that, that we know the word of God through and through. We, we think that because we watched something online or we, we saw this, this great courageous feat from a Red Bull athlete that we did and we we enjoyed it. And, and there's there is an enjoyment to inter- being entertained. But don't ever mistake viewing for doing. Don't ever mistake viewing for doing. Hallelujah. Amen. And these guys that they imagine they have scored a touchdown or they've taken a heel by virtue of having watched it happen on their phone or on their television screen. These are passive living legends in their own inert minds. Hallelujah. This applies to the man, but not just the man, honey. This also applies to the women, but not just the women. This also applies to young people, to people of all ages that are constantly on their phones. Amen. And it's the man that's hooked on adult material. Hallelujah. It's even the man who's enthralled in the gaming world. 
And like millions in our, of men in our world today, those enslaved by these things will never attain the manliness that God wants them to have or the life discipline for godliness according to 1 Timothy 4 and 7. In other words, our lives must be overseen. They must be instructed and they must be energized by the man of all men, the man Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He's got to be the central thinker in all of our lives. Hallelujah. He's got to be the one that we're looking to. He's got to be the one that has our attention, that has the focus of our eyes. He has got to be that man. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And if he's not that man in all of our lives, we are going to become bitter. We are going to become discouraged. We're going to become frustrated. We're going to become dismayed. We're going to become disillusioned when anybody, any man or any woman takes the place of the man Christ Jesus. He is the visible image of God. He is the perfect one. He is the faithful and the true witness. Amen. I made up in my mind a long time ago, honey. I am living for Jesus. I'm not living for man. I'm not living for my pastor. I'm not living for my wife. I'm living for Jesus. He is the central thinker in my life and in my world. And it must always be that way. Hallelujah, because as many have discovered through the passing of time, ministry will fail you. Men will fail you. Your earthly father will fail you. Your earthly mother will fail you. Your friends may forsake you, but the Lord, He is the one that picks me up. Amen. The Bible says in Psalms, when my mother and my father forsake me, the Lord takes me up. Hallelujah. The Bible talks about the everlasting father, the one that never goes away, the one that does not die, the one that does not stay dead, the one that lives, the one that reigns. I'm thankful for that God that I serve. The third thing is legalism. This word is often misconstrued in church. People have either one perspective or some completely opposite perspective of legalism. For many, spiritual discipline means putting oneself, and I use these terms spiritual discipline, and, and, and immediately a lot, a, lot, a lot of times our minds goes back to, well, we got to live our lives under the law of Moses. It's going to be a life that is, is just uh, very difficult to live and, and very difficult to please the Lord, and I can't measure up. Amen. And we, we, we think that it means uh, going back to draconian rules, amen, that nobody can live up to, and, and which spawns frustration and spiritual death. And we become discouraged. But nothing could be further from the truth if you understand what discipline and legalism are. The difference, if I could explain it like this, is one of motivation. Amen. Legalism is self-centered. And discipline is God-centered. It's like this. The, the legalist heart says, I will do this to gain merit with God. Amen. But the disciplined heart says, I will do this thing because... I love Jesus and I want to please Him. 
Hallelujah. Sometimes people can come to God. I remember watching a young lady years ago in San Jose come to God. And she'd been away from God for a period of time. And she came to church and she said, I just can't live for God. I just can't do it. I just can't give up this and I can't give up that. And, and I just got this relationship. And I got all of these hangups and all of these vices and all of these things. Amen. But I'm thankful that she persevered and she, she found out like we know. Amen. That it's not about what you have to give up to come to God. It's about what you get. It's about falling back in love with Jesus. And when you love Jesus, amen, you want to please Him. You want to serve Him. Amen. You want to live for Him. God will change your perspective. He'll change your heart. He'll change your life. Here's where things are in the world today. The reality is that men, according to statistics and, and studies, men are much less spiritually inclined and less spiritually disciplined than women. Women are more likely to believe in God, find church important, attend services, pray, attend Bible studies and prayer meetings. It's a fact. You go to any church, and lots of times, almost every time you'll find there's more women than men in the church. Surprisingly, for every Bible sold, it is more likely to be a man purchasing it, and yet men are less likely to read it. Additionally, women overwhelmingly just plain read more than men and buy more Christian books and fiction and nonfiction. And it is also a fact that far more women are concerned about the spiritual welfare of their mates and vice versa. But today, on this Sunday morning, today in this, in this service, in this morning, here in Abundant Life Center, there is a cosmic call to every man, every father specifically, but every man, to seek the Lord. Say, God, let my attention be towards you again. Help me to love you so radically, so passionately, God, that my children naturally go the way that I go, living for the Lord. Help me to love you with all of my heart and with all of my soul. Help me to lead my family. Help me to respond to the cosmic call from heaven today. Amen. To be the man that God wants me to be. I ask you the question today. What things are holding you back in your walk with God? That's not even just a question for the men, but that's a question for women, for everybody under the sound of my voice. What things are holding you back in your walk with God? And the second question to, that hinges upon the first is, is why are you hanging on to it? Why are you hanging on to it? Hallelujah. There are so many things that God wants to do. Amen. But He needs a man. He needs a willing vessel that says, God, you can use me. God, if you're looking for a man, if you're looking for a woman, you can use me. I'm available to you. I'm available to you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want us to lift our hands in this place. I want us to close our eyes in you. And I want us just to take a few moments. And I want us just to worship the Lord and talk to the Lord. Would you help me this morning? Would you lift your voice? Would you lift your hands? Would you open up your mouth? And would you say, God, 
but to be the man, the woman, the person you've called me to be. Help me to be all that you've called me to be. Help me, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I want to tell somebody today, amen, you can lift your voice in this church. You don't have to be quiet in your worship and your approach before the Lord, but you can give God all of your heart and all of your praise. Amen. I want to hearken back as we move quickly in this message this morning to the opening scripture that we read regarding King David. Amen. We read in Deuteronomy and then we read again in the book of 2 Samuel. In Deuteronomy, we read about the rules that were set in order for a king over Israel to be successful and different requirements that God placed over the kings. One was that he did not have many horses. And some of these sound a little bit weird in our 2021 understanding. The second was that he did not have many wives. Amen. The third one was that he did not have a lot of silver and gold. Amen. These are some of the things that were set in order for the kings to be successful. And they were just little things, and little nuggets that God put into the scripture that would help a king. Amen. To avoid pitfalls, avoid sin, avoid the encumbrances that he would encounter on his reign, during his reign over the kingdom. Amen. And the thing that we begin to read about, amen, in 2 Samuel was that as King David began to assume reign over the kingdom, that one of the first things he did was he began to acquire more wives. We don't read about a whole lot more other than that found in 2 Samuel chapter 5, but he began to go against, amen, one of the laws of God. Though it was acceptable in the world around him, though it was acceptable in the culture and in the day in which he lived, it was not acceptable here in the Word of God as it relates to kings. Amen. There was a process that began to happen in the King David's life. And, and here's why harken back to my title today. Don't give the devil an inch. Amen. This taking of additional wives by King David was a sin. His was a progressive desensitization to sin. And it was a consequent inner descent from holiness that had begun to take root in David's life. His collection of wives, though it was legal in the eyes of the law and not considered adultery in the culture of the day, was nevertheless a sin. And it was this sensual indulgence that began to desensitize him to the laws of God in his life and God's holy call upon his life, as well as to the danger and the consequence of falling because he was already engaging in sin. He was already giving the devil an inch. Amen. And the long hours of indiscriminate, uh, we see that in, in short, David's embrace of socially permitted sensuality desensitized him to God's call upon his life. And it made him easy prey for the fatal sin of his life. Today, it's the long hours of indiscriminate TV watching or YouTubing that goes on for hours or news consumption or social media consumption. Amen. That is a massive culprit of desensitization. I'm not saying it's wrong to go on YouTube. I'm not saying it's wrong to, to look at the news. I'm not saying it's wrong to have a social media account. Amen. But when it becomes the long hours of indiscriminate watching and consumption, amen, it begins to succumb the man or the woman 
to desensitization of the legal sensualities and it is primed it primed each one of us for a fall amen we can get so desensitized to the things of God in our lives because we're consuming and we're consuming and we're consuming the things of the world that we think well I still feel the Lord when I come to church on Sunday morning and David's life was a lesson in desensitization. He took on wives, but then he could still dance before the Lord with all of his might. He took on wives in the beginning, but he still had a heart to please the Lord. But he allowed the devil to have an inch into his life. He allowed entrance by the deceiver into his life. And the second thing that happened, amen, in the, in the story of King David was the thing called relaxation. These, some of these things are not, and relaxation is not inherently evil. Don't misconstrue my words this morning. I think we all need a time to just take it easy and relax and have a time of solace and peace and reflection. But we should never relax our pursuit of the things of God. We should never become relaxed. Amen. Sister Gina, that was a good prayer meeting on Wednesday. I think I'll take Thursday and Friday off from praying. That should hold me over for Sabbath till Saturday. That's the approach some of us take. Well, I came to church on Sunday, and it was so powerful. Man, I think it'll last until next Sunday. And we relax our pursuit of the things of God. The Bible talks about, as it relates to relaxation in David's life, and I'm hurrying along. Amen. The Bible says that when the time would come that kings would go off to battle, that David stayed home. That David stayed home from the fight and he began to relax his focus upon the Lord. Amen. David did not get up one morning and say, my, what a beautiful day it is outside. I think I'll commit adultery today. But just when we think we're the safest, when we feel no need to keep our guard up, amen, to work on our walk with the Lord, temptation begins to come. That's where the Bible says, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Amen. You cannot relax your pursuit of the things of God, honey. You've got to stay red hot on his trail. Say, God, I want more of you. I want to know you. I want to win a soul to you, God. I want to get back to church. I want to serve you. I cannot relax. I approach before the Lord. The third thing that began to happen in David's life is that this element of fixation. Because if you allow yourself to be desensitized and then you begin to relax your walk with the Lord and your commitment to God, you will become fixated on things that you should never become fixated on. And David, during this time of relaxation, went on his balcony on the rooftop of his house. He began to look out and, and his eyes glanced at Bathsheba. And that glance became a sinful stare. And then it became a burning fixation. And a lustful fixation came over King David that he would not be denied Amen. Satan does not always try to fill you and I, our hearts, with hatred towards God. But he'll try to fill us with forgetfulness of our God. Because in a moment of lust, amen, you are driven and controlled by your passion. And in that moment of being controlled by your passion, you are forgetting all about God, forgetting all about the call of God. 
because you are being fixated on your lust and your passions. And as long as our passions consume us, as long as you are driven by your passion, you will be forgetful of God. His passion and his lust caused him to lose all awareness of God and even of who he was himself. I want to ask somebody here the question today. Has God faded from your view? You know, it's easy to read scripture and say, man, David was a loser. He was a horrible, wretched sinner. How could he blah, blah, blah. And look at this pathetic excuse of a king. And we can run him down so easily thousands of years later. And not look at our own lives. Because a person that is controlled by their passion and by their lust has forgotten about their God. And he's faded from their view. Has God faded from your view today? Has he faded from your Monday morning when you wake up? Amen. Is it it more of an afterthought the things of God? Is it, oh yeah, it's Sunday morning. I think I ought to get go going to church now. Amen. You haven't thought about him all week. He's faded from you. I want to tell you today, if that's the case, amen, you're fixated on the wrong thing. Your lust and your passions have consumed you. But I want to preach today on this Sunday morning, amen, that God wants the attention of the people of God again. Amen. God wants our undivided attention. Is the most real thing in your life, your, your desires and what you want? I, I, I know people that what they want is more important than what God wants. I want to take this vacation. I want to get this promotion. I want to get this girl, this boy. I want this whatever it is. And if God's will collides with their will, their will wins out. They are controlled by their passions. You and I have got to make sure that he is the focus of our attention. Yes. Come on. He's got to be the focus of our attention. Amen. I heard just this past uh, this past Friday, amen, a preaching begin to talk about, amen, the fact, uh, the reason why rivers, uh, they begin to switch directions and they begin to move and take different courses through uh, the land. And there was one particular story that the preacher began to share about how the river uh, eventually one day began to just move and it diverted its course from this particular city. And now that city dried up, but the city wanted to know what can we do to restore the vitality of the economy that was flourishing in our city to what it once was before. So they called the Army Corps of Engineers and they said, what do we got to do to get the river to come back to our city and bring the commerce and bring the life that it once brought and they said, well, you can build these dams, you can build these rocks and quarries, and you can do all these things, but ultimately the river goes where it wants. And they began to dig a little bit deeper, and they found out that the reason that the river began to shift course was because throughout all of the activity, people were throwing junk out the boat, and there was debris that through the years began to pile up in that riverbed. And because that river was no more, amen, it no more welcomed the water, amen, the river decided to divert and go a different direction. Sometimes there's so much junk in our lives that we've got to get back to an altar of repentance and say, God, you've got to forgive me. You've got to help me to make you again the focus.
my life. God wants to flow through the homes and the lives and the families that are represented in this place today. But it takes man to say, we're throwing this out. We're throwing that out. We're getting rid of this. We're getting rid of that. Not in my house. Not under my roof. My dad would do that at times when we were kids. What is that you're looking at? That doesn't belong in this house. What is it you've been doing when I haven't been around? Either that stops or you got to go. It was hard love sometimes, tough love. But he made up a mind in his mind. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. God wants this church to go forward. And the way that it goes forward is on the backs of strong men that say we're going to live for God. We're going to serve God no matter what happens, no matter what comes our way. Amen. The last two things to point out about David's life that we're going to come to a close is that the David moved from desensitization with the taking on of the wives and then he moved to relaxation and that brought about fixation. But the fourth thing it brought about in David's life was rationalization. And here is where people begin to rationalize their sin and rationalize why they walk away from God and rationalize why they don't pray no more and rationalize why they don't go to church no more and rationalize why they commit sin. Amen. Bathsheba's lonely. She needs a man in her life. Her husband's off to war. You know, Uriah's away anyway. He hasn't been much of a husband to her anyway. I think I ought to help him out. Nobody will know but me. Amen. I think I can help Bathsheba more than Uriah could ever help her. She's not a prostitute, so therefore it's okay. The mind controlled by lust and passion has an infinite capacity for rationalization. Well, that pastor fell into sin. That man offended me. That one did me wrong. Amen. I don't like the way he looked at me. The pastor's preaching to me. I'm leaving. No matter what it is, we'll rationalize. And we've all got to be careful. Because any one of us can rationalize our way out of our commitment to God. How could God allow my child to be born with this disability? How could God allow my spouse to go through this? How could God, and we can go through all these things and we can rationalize everything away. God wants me to be happy. Amen. I'm acting in love. Amen. My marriage was never God's will in the first place. Others are being judgmental. We can go down the list of all the reasons why we should sin. Why we should go against the laws of God. But the ultimate fifth thing that it brought about in David's life was it brought about degeneration. If you'd stand with me this morning. The ultimate thing that happened in David's life as he gave the devil an inch was degeneration. David was unaware that he had stepped off the precipice and was falling. He didn't know what happened. Everything seems to be fine. I killed Uriah a long time ago. Bathsheba's been living with me for several months now. 
The baby's a few months. Nobody knows. I think I got away with it, Brother Noah. But sin, once you give it an inch, will work and spend your life. And David, as the music begins to play, once a pure-hearted shepherd boy playing the harp in that pasture with the sheep, David, that worshiper that began to write countless psalms, and he wrote music, and he loved to worship, and he loved to help other people. David, that man that was a man after God's own heart, now in just a short period of time, about 12 or so months, found himself a philandering calculating liar and murderer in the arrangement of Uriah's death to cover his sin with Bathsheba. Because he gave the devil a little entrance into his life. And let me, I read this and I thought this is so profound. Because David gave the devil an inch. Everybody else around me has multiple wives. Why did God to put the restriction on me as a king? Everybody else, they don't they probably don't know the laws about the kings. They just know the laws that govern them. Maybe I can get away with it. Maybe God will forget. Maybe the pastor won't call me out on it. Maybe I can get away with it. But he gave the devil an inch. Just a little bit. But in the process of degeneration, in the process of David's life and this this sin that destroyed his life, he broke, the first thing that he broke was a tenth commandment that was covering his neighbor's wife. And then he began to break the seventh commandment of having adultery. And then in order to steal his wife, he broke the eighth commandment. And then, to cover his sin, he committed murder. And he broke the sixth commandment. And then, it continued. Because he opened the door and answered to the devil. Then he broke the ninth commandment by bearing false witness against his brother and lion. And then, because of that and all of that took place in his life, he broke the fifth commandment and brought dishonor to his parents. And then, in this way... He broke, amen, all of the Ten Commandments that relate to loving one's neighbor as oneself. He broke the commandments 5 through 10. And in doing so, he dishonored God, breaking in effect the first four commandments. Friend, I want to tell you today, amen, God wants to see you restored. God wants every man, every woman, everybody under the sound of my voice to hear this crazy preacher. Amen. To hear this preacher this morning. Amen. That's preaching a word. Sometimes it's not the message that we want to hear. But God wants to help somebody to become the man he's called them to become. But degeneration was just started in David's life. Because after he began, he broke one commandment and ended up with all the commandments broken. His baby died. Later on, his daughter Tamar was raped by her stepbrother Amnon. 
And then later on, Abner was murdered by his brother Absalom. And then later on, Absalom led a rebellion to overthrow King David's reign. And ultimately, David's reign lost the smile of God. I want us to pray right now in this place. I want us to take some time and I want us to pray right now. Jesus is talking to somebody's heart this morning. The devil thought he had you. Today, whatever the case would be, lots of different things that are at play in your mind, no doubt. Not lots of different things that are at play in your in your heart and in your soul. And you contemplate all of the ramifications and all of the things that it would be entailed in living for God with all of your heart again. But hear me today. It was not until David began to repent before the Lord and David began to say, I for, I've sinned. I've sinned. I want to make it right. God, whatever it costs me, God, I'm going to live for you. That David began to be called the man after God's own heart. And what we need more than ever is men that are not after a career move. Men that are not after a promotion on their job. Men that are not after a girlfriend. Men that are not after a new car. Men that are not after material things. But men that are after the heart of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We need to pray this morning. We need to pray. Come on, help us pray this morning. Jesus, we call upon you. I need some of my Holy Ghost filled people to lift their voice. I need some Holy Ghost filled children of God to lift their hearts, lift their hands, lift their voice, and begin to worship God. Come on, I want you to begin to praise Him. I want you to begin to lift up the name of Jesus. Amen. This service is over. Amen. I'm through preaching. Hallelujah. Now is the time for some men to respond to the call of God, the call from another world that says, make me the center of your life again. Let me be the thing that you reach for. Let me be the thing that you pursue after. Stop being so consumed with selfish, worldly, temporary pursuits. And men be men that get after God. Men be men that pray. Come on, I need some people to lift their voice in this place. There needs to be some repentance that happens in this place. There needs to be some determined hearts that happen in this place. There needs to be a rebirthing of desire, a rebirthing of all things spiritual towards God. And there needs to be a renewing of our minds. Come on. 